Good morning, everybody. Um, this morning, I'm going to be speaking from the passage from Matthew, which is Matthew 21, uh, verses 33 to 46. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, page 989 of our Bibles. I think we're ready. The signage is secure. I'm not ready for that yet. Have I turned that on? I've left offensive jewellery behind. Mobile phone is off. You can stay sitting where you are. I'm not going to move any of you. <laughs> Wrong button. I just want a blank screen. Please. Thank you. So, let us pray before I begin. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, the God of the harvest, and we pray, Lord, that as we speak, as we sing, as we listen and reflect, that each of these would be godly and would bring honor to you. Amen. Last week, when Steph spoke to us um, from the reading, she tackled the issue of Jesus' authority and by whose authority he taught. <clears throat> and the chief priests had tried to pin Jesus down here in our reading, with the, sorry, in last week's read, reading, with the question about authority. But Jesus, knowing that they had already um, arrested John the Baptist and had him killed because they wouldn't accept his message, he knew that they would never accept who he was either. So Jesus tells a series of parables, shining a light onto their lives and their attitudes. And here, once again, we find Jesus in the temple, in the temple courts, with the leaders and the chief priests, and they're giving him a grilling. Tensions are running high. Now we're not working at all. The one, the angry face. There we go. Tensions are running high because thousands have come to Jerusalem, as had Jesus because it was Pentecost. And the Jewish leaders are nervous as there are so many in the city. And we know now, in hindsight, that this encounter that we read about today is just a day or two before Jesus' arrest and death. And Jesus knows that he has been listened to closely by the authorities and they were watching for an opportunity to catch him out and arrest him. And this is where our reading, in starting at verse 33, picks up the story today. So Jesus tells them a parable of the tenants. And by telling this very simple parable, Jesus is retelling them the whole story of the relationship between God and his people. And what the final chapter will be. And in this parable, we learn three things about our God. We learn that we have a God of great provision, a God of great patience, and a God of great power. So starting at verse 33, a God of great provision. <clears throat> we hear of the landowner who planted a vineyard, and of course, we are to understand that the landowner is God. The vineyard represents Israel, and the tenants are the religious leaders of the nation, 
and the messengers are the many prophets that God has sent to his people over the centuries. God has provided everything, the land, he planted the vines, and the tenants did not have the financial costs of starting out on this new venture. He put a wall around it for protection, which also gave the tenants the security of ownership. They knew where they belonged and who their landlord was. Only those accepted could enter. And then he provided the wine press for them so that when the harvest came, their work in producing the harvest would be easier. They did not need to build the wine press. The landowner had already done that. And he built watchtowers along the wall so the enemies and dangers could be seen from far off. It was indeed the ideal tenancy, the set-up costs taken care of, insurance against danger taken care of, and the work tools provided. The landowner was taking all the risk and the tenants very little. And then the landlord went away on a long journey. So he was not watching over them, watching their every move. He trusted them with all that he had provided and gave them the free will to get on with it. He didn't interfere with the progress until the agreed time. The, the landowner completely trusted his tenants and the tenants had nothing to complain about. They had entered into this contract in which both parties knew the expectations and responsibilities upon them. And this is the story of the nation of Israel. God has promised them a new land, a land of their own through the covenants with Abraham. It was a land rich and plentiful, a land of great provision given to them by the God of provision. They needed for nothing because God had provided all. And this is our God too. We have a God of great provision, whose great joy it is to bless us with all we need. And that is why Harvest Festival is celebrated in churches up and down the country this month. We take the opportunity to remind ourselves of the great provision we receive from our God. And this is so important because we've become so affluent and distant from the land that we get, forget from whom it all comes. We forget because we can so easily drop down to Tesco's for our food that without our provider God, there would be no provision. So we take this time every year to give thanks for all we have received. And we take time to redistribute the harvest to those who may not be as well off as ourselves. And we do this to remember the harvest that God provided for us in the first place. But as we know, Israel began to stray and they wandered far from the promised land. There was a time when they spent 40 years south of the promised land and wandered in the desert led by Moses. And then there was another time when they were carried off far to the east by the Babylonians. But these times, both of these times come as a result of the spiritual wandering off from God's purposes for them in this world. And this is when we begin to discover 
the God of great patience in verses 34 to 37. Despite their wanderings, God brought them physically back from the south, led by Moses, and from the east, led by Nehemiah and Ezra. And spiritually, he called them back through the many prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and right up through history to the current time of the reading here today, to the time of John the Baptist. Through centuries of wandering off, listening to foreign gods and forgetting who had provided for them, they had got lost. And when the prophet came to them, they refused to listen. Our parable tells us in verse, uh, verse 35, the tenants seized, seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. God came to them asking for faithfulness, for Israel to stick to the contract, to the covenants he had made with his people. But they did not keep their side of the, of the agreement. The people broke faith with God, with the God of provision, and broke his trust. But God was patient, and he sent servants time and time again, calling them back calling them to faithfulness, but they had hard hearts and rejected the many servants. He called them back to the covenants over centuries of time, not once, not twice, but countless times. But they continued in testing his patience, trying his patience. The God of great patience was very patient with his people, just as he continues to be patient with us today. Often we enjoy his patience as we struggle, as we struggle to return to the faithfulness that we are called to. We are blessed by our patient God as he waits for us to catch up with the plans that he has for us. When we struggle to let go of the things that draw us away from him, he shows us patience as we learn to let go of the false gods and come back to the one true God. We today know this great God of patience. And that is why harvest is an important time for Christians, as it helps us to refocus our attention back on the God of provision and challenges us about our wandering off into different lands. We get distracted and need reminding of the great provider. And we know that distractions come in many forms. Our homes, our pension pots, our holidays, our kids, our difficulties at work, our gambling and other addictions. But harvest time reminds us that everything we need is in God. And he patiently waits for us to remember that and to come back to him. And then at the end of the parable, Jesus tells them of the great God of power, verses 42 to 44. We come to the time of harvest in our story. The landowner returns and wants a return on his investment. 
He wants his tenant farmers to pay him what is due, to show the result of their living under his pleasure and blessing. But they rejected that blessing. They have killed the servants and finally the son and heir himself. They can only see the short-term gains and grabbed at that. They failed to see that living with the God of provision and patience can be a lifelong blessing. They only see the immediate future. In their minds, they had worked hard and toiled for a few years, and now the harvest is in. So why should they give it away? Why should they share it with the absentee landlord? But they had forgotten that the landowner provided all before they even started. He prepared the soil, built the walls, the watchtowers, the wine press, and let them live rent-free while there was no harvest to collect. They want to take and take and not give. But this God is also a powerful God. Jesus reminds them, using the ancient, ancient scriptures, which they know so well, of the power of this great God. Verse 42, the stone that the builder rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This comes directly from Psalm 118, and the Jews understood the scripture to mean that as a nation, they would be the stone that was rejected. They had been rejected throughout history by other nations, but God would make them the capstone, the important one in his plans for the world. But now, Jesus is saying, it's not the nation of Israel that becomes the capstone, but he himself. The chief priests were continuing in the practices of wandering off and rejecting God's way. They were cozying up with the Romans. They were rejecting Jesus. But he is the one who holds the whole history of Israel together. And they were about to send him to his death. Jesus is the capstone. He would suffer and die. And he would rise again. But to Israel, Jesus is the stumbling stone, the stumbling rock. They can't get over it because it's not quite what they had expected. This stone standing with them in the temple courts is about to be the stone that they will trip over and they will come to a sticky end. Jesus says as much in verse 44. He who falls on this stone would be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls would be crushed. God's power will turn the Jewish nation on its head and the leaders can do nothing to stop it. God's power can destroy them as it had destroyed many nations before. This, Jesus tells them, is the great God of power at work. Verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees held, heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. And to us in the church, Jesus is the foundation stone or the rock on which we are built. The stone which the Jews rejected became the stone on which our faith is based today. 
and there are two things to say. The first is that the harvest offering that we make over this weekend is our sign of acceptance of Jesus, who is the capstone. We are giving back to him what he has first given us. The harvest offering is a symbol of a working out of God's purposes for us, making the vineyard fruitful, not so that we can profit by it, but so we can bless the people of the world around us. And the second, that if God is the stone rejected that becomes the cornerstone, the capstone, then so too will his church follow that example. Our efforts to live the kingdom will be rejected, misconstrued, spoken ill of. People will reject the offer of God's love that the church holds out to them. But in the end, we will be shown as the most important of all. We will be the capstone of the new life of the kingdom of God that God is bringing into the world. The very notion of giving back at harvest is contrary to a world that just wants to take. And we know that we have the same God that Jesus teaches about here in this parable. We have a God of great provision, patience and power. He provides for us. And we will remind each other of this as we pray together the words of the Lord's Prayer. We say, give us today our daily bread. And demonstrating our trust in the fact of that statement, we give the share of the harvest back to the landowner. Believing it completely, we, give to, we gave to the mustard seed last night and continue to believe it, we give to the food bank collection this morning. He is patient with us. And we live with the knowledge of his patience as we come in confidence in our time of confession, confessing our individual weaknesses and our corporate weaknesses, confessing that we have wandered off at times. And because he has been so patient, we've been able to come back to him again and again. And he is the God of great power. We celebrate this and remind ourselves of his great power when we come together later to share in the bread and the wine. And as Tim leads us through the Eucharistic prayer, I encourage you to listen to the words today because that prayer tells us the story of the last hours of Jesus' earthly ministry and God's great power as he raised him to a new place. As God places Jesus as the capstone, the most important in his plans for the nations, completing the relationship with his tenants, which began by giving them the land and completed by giving them the son, the relationship fulfilled and retold each Sunday by us at communion. And we too are invited into having this relationship because of God's great provision for us. Provision, patience and power, all celebrated around the communion table this morning 
for us all to, to enjoy and be blessed by it. In Jesus' own words, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be given to a people who will produce its fruits. Amen.